Um, it is so good uh, to be back uh, from leave uh, and also from a stint in hospital and recovering at home from pneumonia, believe it or not. And so uh, it is uh, great to be uh, with you this morning. And uh, I loved, I loved while I was away just hearing news of what was happening at City Hope Church, how Jesus was being worshipped, how uh, people were getting baptized, how young and old experienced the greatest miracle of all as they gave and entrusted their lives to Jesus as Jesus saved them. There's nothing better um, than that. I had to think to myself, isn't it uh, just like Jesus? When we're going through a series like I Am to uh, demonstrate that He is those things, that He is the way, that He is the good shepherd, that He is the one who is alive and at work amongst, amongst His people, and He loves us. He loves you today, and He loves me today. Uh, when I speak to people, I often ask a question uh, to, to, to them, and I, I'll say to them, why did Jesus die for you? And their response, particularly Christian people, will often be so that my sins could be forgiven, and so that um, I can go to heaven one day. And then some Christian people might say also, so that I could have a relationship with Jesus, which is actually really a big deal. All of those things are really important when it comes to why Jesus died for us. It is part of the picture. But actually, that's not all and the only reason Jesus died uh, for us. For Jesus died for us and brought us into relationship with him because he's wanting my life and your life to bear good fruit. He's wanting my life and your life to be extensions of who he is in the world because he wants people to know his deep love for them. He's not just wanting our lives to bear fruit. He's actually expecting our lives to bear fruit. There's a difference. So as we look at this final uh, of the I Am sayings today, I want to just help us to uh, locate ourselves on what's happening at this part of history. Uh, Jesus is about to be arrested and be crucified. He's communicating with his disciples, and it's really, in many ways, one thought. He's just communicating and revealing different aspects of who he is. James helped us to see how Jesus revealed himself as the way, the truth, and the life last week. And uh, this week, we're going to be looking at Jesus revealing himself as the true vine. What he was doing last week he was, was he was helping us to see that we can only connect to the Father and the Father's love through Jesus. Jesus is the only way to connect with the Father. What he's helping us to do this week is to recognize that when we are connected to the Father, we represent the Father. In other words, the, we, we're meant to be bearing fruit that represents who the Father is. And so if you, if, if, if you uh, are with me this morning, you've got your Bibles or you can take a look on the screens, we're going to be focusing on John chapter 15 and we're going to start in verse 1. Maybe before we get there, let me just pray. Father, I want to pray that you'll use your word to change us this morning. Lord, I want to pray that you'd use your word to reveal your, 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 yourself to our hearts, those who know you and those who do not yet know you. Lord, speak clearly to our hearts so that we can respond to you um, as we hear this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, 
so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. If you do not remain in me, sorry. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his father's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go out and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command Love each other. It's pretty clear that Jesus is wanting our lives to bear fruit. He's wanting our lives to bring him glory. Verse 8 says it like this. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When Jesus is present in our lives, then he's wanting our lives to look different. He's wanting our lives to be lived differently, so that people can see that we are his disciples. And so we're going to look at this passage today under two headings, how we bear good fruit, and what does this fruit look like? How we bear good fruit? Our lives are going to bear good fruit because of a true vine. And that true vine is Jesus. He says so himself in verse one. He says, I am the true vine. It's an interesting use of words, because when you look at that word true in the Greek, it could have been translated genuine or real vine. Jesus is saying, I'm the genuine vine. I'm the real vine. I'm the true vine. And I had to ask myself the question, if Jesus is saying he's the true vine, was there a vine that was not true and not genuine? Well, Isaiah chapter 5 helps us to see that there was There's a bit of a picture that the prophet gives, and then he gives almost an interpretation of that picture. Verse 1, it says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleared it of stones, planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Verse seven tells us what that meant. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is a nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines that he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries 
of distress. The people of Judah, God's people, are referred to as the vines that he delighted in. He loved them. He cared for them. He gave them everything that was necessary in order uh, to, to live. And his desire was that their lives would bear good fruit. But instead, their lives yielded only bad fruit. How very sad. How very sad to be set up to bear good fruit and yet to live a life that bears only bad fruit. See, God's purpose has always been that his people would know his presence and that out of knowing him and enjoying uh, his presence, we would live a life that is different. Lives that make him known. Lives that reveal him. Lives that love like him. Lives that care like him. Lives that reach out like him. Said in the words of this passage, lives that bear good fruit. Genesis 12 verse 2 says, uh, a promise that God makes to uh, Abraham concerning his people and, a, and the impact that his people will have on the earth. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. But instead of his people being a blessing to the nation and peoples of the earth, all they did was bear bad fruit. Fruit of bloodshed, fruit of distress. But God is a promise keeper. When he says his people are going to be bear good fruit and the nations are gonna be impacted, that's what's gonna happen. And so how was it gonna be possible for his people to bear good fruit? Jesus became the true vine. Jesus became the true vine so that, uh, he, and he obeyed his father all the way to death on the cross so that we could come into relationship with him and so that we would have the opportunity to live our lives according to the plans and purposes that God created us for. Jesus became the true vine so that we would be able to bear good fruit. See, when we put our trust in Jesus, his life begins to flow in us. Just like sap flows in the branches of a vine, his spirit comes and lives in us, and then his spirit gives us the power to serve him, to trust him, to tell of him, and to live for him. Because Jesus is a true vine, not only do you and I have the opportunity to go to heaven one day, but you and I have the opportunity to express what heaven is like through our lives on earth while we wait to go to heaven one day. The question I have for us though is, can you confidently say that Jesus is your true vine? Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus? We'll talk a little bit more about that later. So we bear good fruit because we have a true vine. But we also bear good fruit because we abide. Verse five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is stating a fact. When we have put our faith in him, we are his disciples. He's the vine, we are the branches. It's a matter of fact. But then Jesus is saying to us, 
It's not just good enough to know that we are true disciples. We need to remain in the vine because we can do nothing apart from him. Nothing, listen, nothing that will produce the kind of fruit that God is wanting to see out of our lives. We'll be able to do some stuff, but we will do nothing that will produce the fruit that God wants to see produced through our lives. So we need to abide. We need to connect with Him so that we are getting our life from Him on a daily basis. We need to connect with Him so that we are living our lives out of a place of connection on a daily basis. Attending church, going to group are all important aspects of connecting with Jesus. But that's two days out of seven. God is wanting us to have a good, strong relationship with Him. Have you noticed when young people uh, meet somebody, they don't phone them twice a week. They phone them and they travel long distances to get to see that person that they love. If we love Jesus, then we will abide with him and we will, uh, will remain with him. Why? Because we want to get to know him. See, Jesus is looking for fruit in us that is born out of time spent with him, born out of intimacy with him where we have been cared for by him again, personally, where we have seen his heart again. And out of that, seek to live our lives to please his heart, to express his heart to others. And when that happens, we end up bringing him glory. Can I just say, if Jesus needed to spend time with the Father on a regular basis, we do too. If he needed it, we definitely need it even more. Heidi Baker said this, faithfulness flows from intimacy. If I'm not full of joy and full of love, I have nothing to offer. I have to stay filled. That's why I will fight for my secret place alone with God. If we are gonna be any help in the world that we find ourselves in, if we're gonna represent Jesus we're going to represent the Father, then we need to take some time to be with Him because otherwise we've got nothing to give. We need to fight for that time. The more we connect with Jesus, the more attentive we're going to become to the love that He has for us, the more attentive we're going to become to the need that there is in the world and the love that He has for those in the world that don't yet know Him. You see, we're not wanting to do good works because we are wanting approval from God. We're not doing, wanting to do good works in our own strength. We are wanting to do good works and see uh, good fruit out of our lives because we have been in intimacy with God and we've been empowered by His Holy Spirit. Here's a question. What are you really, where are you really getting your life from today? Where are you really living your life from today? Is it from connection and relationship with Jesus? So we bear fruit because we've got a true vine, because we abide. And lastly, we bear fruit because we are pruned. Jesus says that when we do bear fruit, we can expect some pruning. That means that the reward for bearing fruit is pruning. 
It's uncomfortable. It's sometimes a little bit anal. But the intention of God when he prunes is for us to bear even more fruit. Fruit that is lasting. This is good news. Because sometimes when you go into a difficult season, we think God's out to get us, the devil's out to get us, and the devil might be out to get us sometimes. But sometimes God is just wanting to prune you and I so that we would bear fruit that will last. You might find him pruning our patience, pruning our perseverance, those things that we pray for all the time and it takes so long to do, patience, persevering through a difficult season. Trusting he might be pruning. Maybe our dependence on him. Sometimes he will even prune an area where we have uh, faced incredible hurt, but his reason for pruning in that area is because he wants to bring healing to the hurt. Sometimes he may delay answers to prayer. Anybody had that before? Delay answers to prayer so that we move from seeking our own desires concerning that circumstance to seeking God's desires for that circumstance. How much better won't God's desires be? So when we see these difficult seasons happening, we don't need to think God has abandoned us. God has left us. He doesn't love us anymore because often he is graciously pruning us so that we can be more fruitful. Let me give you an example from my own life. I knew in 1997, I'm going to be a pastor, pastor one day, and, uh, and I'm going to uh, go into full-time ministry in a church setting. 2003, the end of 2003, that only happened for me. Do you know what my prayers looked like in that season? Lord, you got me stuck here in corporate. There are people dying and going to hell, and now you've got me stuck in corporate. You promised, and you're not doing it. Those were what my prayers looked like. But now in hindsight, not at the time, I wish I could say at the time I got it all, but in hindsight and a little bit at the time, I began to realize that God is pruning me. I had a mindset that God uses people, including me, only when we're in this building. When we're in this building or when I am a pastor. And God was saying, no, I want to use you when I'm not, not a pastor. I had this weird thinking that purpose only happens then when I'm doing what God has promised for my life. For me, it was being a full-time pastor. What is it for you? I thought purpose is only there, and God is saying, no, every day with me is a day of purpose. This is where I want to use you, so just be used over there. God was pruning me. Then some of the tougher things, some of the tougher things like having difficult bosses, being overloaded with work, right? Um, being retrenched. All of those things were an aspect of pruning. Was the devil out to get me? No. Because today, as I meet with people um, and they're needing some help when they're facing something, I'm able to speak to them out of a place where I've experienced it myself. Would I have liked it another way? Obviously. All of us would, right? But all I'm saying is God sometimes uses those seasons to prune us. And so the question I have for us today is, could the difficulty of suffering that you are encountering right now be Jesus pruning you. So that's how we bear good fruit. We have a true vine uh, and all of the other stuff. Just skip my mind right now. We abide and we allow him to prune us. What does that fruit look like though? 
We can go all over the Bible and we can see different kinds of fruit. But what is the fruit that Jesus focuses on in this particular passage? There's four that I see. And uh, there are two guys, Matt Carter and Josh Redberg, that commentated on the, these four fruits. I love the headings of the fruit. So I'm going to borrow the headings today, okay? I'm going to borrow the headings, but I'm going to speak about the fruit uh, that I see in this uh, passage. Before we get into the fruit, though, I want to say this. Bearing good fruit is good for you and I personally. And bearing good fruit is good for those that we rub shoulders with on a daily basis. And when you read this and see what this fruit is, you see both of those in play. So what does the fruit look like? First one that I see is answered prayer. I believe that we will see more answered prayer. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God is going to answer every one of our prayers, although he always does. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. He always answers. But I believe we will see more answered prayer. Verse 7 says this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You see, our connection to Jesus is not a random one. It's not a by chance one. It is a deliberate connection. And it's initiated by Him. He chose us. Not only is it a deliberate connection, but it's a relational connection. I'm so glad for that. It's a relational connection. And we are not just servants. We are friends. And because we are friends, we know the heart of the Father for us, and we know the heart of the Father for those around us. In this relationship, in this connection with God, He primarily communicates to us through His Word, and we then communicate with Him through prayer. As we read His Word, He's communicating to us as we read that, 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 those words uh, in the Bible, and we're beginning to see what He likes, what He dislikes, what's on his heart, what he wants to change in our life, what he's wanting to do through our life. And as we see those things, we then begin to respond by speaking back to him. That's called prayer. We speak back to him, but the speaking back to him begins to look a little bit different because all of a sudden we are speaking, speaking back to him and asking him for the things that he considers as important rather than just the things that we consider as important. And then we begin to see him answering more prayer. You see, what's happening here is prayer is being shaped by Scripture. We connect with Him when we spend time in His Word. His Word abides in us. And then out of that, His Word shapes and informs our prayers. Let me give you an example. These are the kind of prayers I prayed when I was still in corporate. Lord, give me a good job. My boss is terrible. Get me out of here. And you've called, and you've called me to ministry one day, so just do it, Lord. But, but a prayer that is informed and shaped by the word might look a little bit more like this. Lord, I would love a new job, and you know that I'm asking you to provide one in your perfect timing. But in the meantime, I'm asking you to shape me in this difficult circumstance. 
Shape me like you shaped Joseph. Help me to respond in a godly way that reveals you. Use me to make you known while I am here. A different kind of prayer. Here's a question for us. Are your prayers shaped by God's word and out of abiding with him? Or are they just ritual? Separate from any relationship with him. Next fruit that I see is obedient love. Verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you can keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. We know that Jesus loves us because he kept his Father's commands. As a result, he was a perfect sacrifice. We know that he loves us because while we were sinners, he died for us. We know that he loves us because uh, he awakened our heart to the fact that he wants to forgive us and show us mercy. We know that he loves us because when we reached out to him and asked him to forgive us, he was faithful and just to forgive our sins. We know that he loves us because we weren't just added to a number of people. We were added to his family and we are known as heirs. We know that Jesus loves us. But how does Jesus know that we love him? He knows when we obey him. This is not God saying, if you obey me, I will love you. He loves us, but he's saying, uh, he's saying, if you love me, then your love for me is going to be demonstrated through obedience. We don't earn love through obedience. We show love through obedience. Show love to the one who gave his life for us. Here's a question. Do you love God today? And are you obeying him? Are you obeying him in your relationships, in your workplace, in your finances? Are you obeying him in things he tells you not to do, and also things he tells you to do. We want to be disciples that are growing in obedience. It's not an overnight thing, so we don't have to become legalistic here. It's a process, but our, our trajectory must be that we are ever increasingly obeying Jesus. Next fruit that I see, inexhaustible joy. Verse 11 says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Told you what? Abide in me, obey in me, and then what will you have? A complete joy. You and I look for joy in all kinds of places, in people, in things. God is saying, if you're wanting a complete joy, it's found by abiding in him and obeying him. Does that mean when we find that complete joy, our life is uh, just a, a whatever, a rose bed, whatever you want to call it, a, 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 a sunshine and roses, that's it. Thanks, James. Oh, you're so helpful here in the front. Um, no. It just means that compared to any other joy that we can run after, there's no comparison to the joy that Jesus can give because he gives a complete joy. See, when we abide in Jesus, life begins to change for us. Our view of life changes. Our, world, our view of the world changes. We see people differently. We understand our purpose differently. Some of the desires that we carried in our heart before get replaced with God's desires that are consistent with why he created with us in the first place. When we begin to live according to God's design, we actually discover that real joy is found in pleasing him. Real joy is not found primarily in what we do. It's found in who we are living to please. Are you living to please the one who gave his life to save you today.
Is that who you're living for? Next fruit, sacrificial love. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one in this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. Jesus wasn't just somebody who said I loved you. He sacrificially loved. He laid down his life. Jesus' daily life was spent living for somebody else, not for himself. His daily life was spent living for his father and obeying him, bringing him glory so that he could live his daily life for people so that they could come to know that there's a heavenly father who loves them. Stop on the road, forgive people's sin, he'd heal their disease. Sometimes there was a big crowd and he would look up into a tree and he'd spot the one person in the crowd. Jesus would go to the cross for people who were shouting, crucify him. That's how much of a sacrifice Jesus went through and he's wanting our lives to bear the fruit of sacrificial love. Love where we lay down our lives to, to honor and bring glory to a father who loves us deeply and lays, lay down our lives for people so that they can come to know that there's a father in heaven who loves them. Heard a story, an American pastor shared it. Um, it was of two girls. They were athletes, 800 or 1,200 meters uh, athletes. They were in the last meeting of the year to be able to qualify for national championships. And so they'd been training, they'd been working hard, they got to the, the starting line, the gun went off, and one of the girls shot ahead. 150 meters from the end, she is still in the lead. And then all of a sudden, she collapses. She'd had a stomach bug the night before, and she collapses. And the girl in second place, who loves Jesus, um, passes her opponent. And then she stops. She stops, and she goes back to her opponent, and she lifts her up by the hand, and she shouts at her. And she says this, get up and qualify. They both ended up finishing that race and both ended up qualifying. I don't know what happened in terms of who won the national championship at the end of the day, but very likely the girl that uh, returned to help this person, the other girl might have actually won. What a sacrifice for her. But you know what happened out of that story? It was the beginning and the first day of God drawing the heart of the girl who fell through somebody who made a sacrifice for them. And the rest is history. Question for us, who in your world can you love with a sacrificial love today? The band's gonna join me on stage, but I think it's so important for us when we think about a sacrificial love, how do we do that? How do we love sacrificially? Got two things that I think is gonna help us. The first is to stop for the one. Did you hear that? Stop for the one. We saw Jesus doing it all the time. And as I listened to people's testimonies of how um, God turned their life around and met them, it's normally always because of somebody who reached out, somebody who stopped for them, a colleague, a coach, a teacher, a lift club mom, a waiter, a stranger, Somebody stopped for them and reached out. And as a result, their life was radically changed because of Jesus. See, you and I need to show up with the love of Jesus for people. But it's impossible for us to show up with the love of Jesus for people when we don't allow him to develop good fruit in us. 
Leon is a 71-year-old man. I met him in the hospital. He suffers from a disease called chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. For those of us that are not medical, he struggles to breathe. In fact, he's on 24 hours oxygen. He has had this condition for the last 11 years. He's in and out of hospital. Most people who have this condition live maybe three to five years. He grew up in a, in a Christian home. He said to me, he's always, he's, he, he's never given up on God, but he feels, he felt so discouraged. Like God had left him, that God didn't love him. And then days before, he went into the hospital, into hospital for the umpteenth time. He was in dyskem. And a man walked past him and then stopped. Came back to him and said, can I share something with you? He said, I feel like Jesus wants you to know that he loves you. That Jesus wants you to know that he sees you, which is great. I mean, God does that, hey? We know that about God. But then he says, God wants you to know that he knows you. He knows where you're at. He said, that so moved my heart. What do you make of it, Vaughan? And I was able to encourage him. One man stopping for another, encouraging him in his journey that has been 11 years long already, and he's just trying to hold on to God. But God's got him. We need to remember when we step out for the one and stop for the one, that God is with us. Verse 26 says, When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. You also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. When we testify about Jesus, the Holy Spirit testifies in people's hearts. He makes Jesus real to them, convinces them of his love for them. It's not something that we can do. We testify, but we don't go alone. The Holy Spirit testifies with us. So how can we live in a sacrificial way? How can we see these things happening? Abiding in Jesus, obeying him, stopping for the one, knowing that he's with us. Last story, Jim Elliott. Four others went as missionaries to the Orca in Ecuador by airplane on the 3rd of January, 1956. On the 6th of January, they met two Orca women and a young man, and they took him for a ride in the plane. They hoped and prayed that these three would bring more of the tribe. On the 8th of January, 1956, all five missionaries were speared and macheted to death on the beach where they had set up camp. Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife, began to pray that God would show her if, if there was anything she might do to reach the tribe who murdered her husband. She then renewed contact with the tribe, and in 1958, she, a three and a half your old daughter and the pilot who was killed sister moved home to again minister to the tribe. Through their testimony of love and forgiveness, most of the village, including six in the murder party, turned to Christ. One of the murderers approached Rachel Saint and said, I want you to know that I was one of the men who killed your brother Nate. He was a pilot. When he was on the beach with the others, I know that God wants to forgive me, but I want to ask you to forgive me. Well, the things that I have done, I didn't understand anything back then. I didn't know who they were. But I will say that I truly know God has forgiven me today. I want to give himself, myself to him. It was not only your brother who died. Many, many people died 
besides him at the point of my spear. But today is the last of my own spear for me. I found a new spear to pierce the hearts of many people, the good news of Jesus. Steve St. Nate's son was five years old when his father was martyred. He too experienced forgiveness through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. When I was a little boy and my dad flew off and was killed, Steve said, I thought, how can life ever be good again? But God gave me the man who killed my father to be like a father to me and a growing father to my children. One man physically laid down his life and lost it. A wife sacrificed to go back to those people. And as a result, murderers, murderers found the love of Jesus. Murderers became fathers and grandfathers because of the great love of Jesus. How can we not bear fruit so that others can come to know the love of Jesus? I'm going to ask you to stand. I've asked lots of questions this morning. Um, I have prepared one slide with all of them on. You might want to take your phone out and take a picture because I want to encourage you to go home today and allow God, let us allow God to search our hearts where we might need a change in some areas where He's wanting us to bear good fruit. Right now, we're going to go into a song, and I'm really wanting two groups of people to be just taking some time to consider who God is and what it is that God wants to do in their heart. First group is those of you that aren't sure that you're connected to Jesus. You may have asked God to forgive you, but you've never come to Jesus to forgive you. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life, and He's extending His mercy to you today. He wants you to respond to him. And then for those of us who know Jesus, have been saved by him, he's wanting us to say yes to bearing fruit. He's wanting us to say yes to bearing fruit, which essentially means yes to abiding, yes to obeying, yes to being pruned, yes to living our lives in a sacrificial way. We're gonna worship this incredible God. Let us do that with a heart that is saying, Lord, here I am, send me and I'll be up to pray for us after that. We're standing today and God is uh, reaching out to us. For some of us, he's just wanting to say, he's paid the highest price. And it's your day to, to, to say to him, yes, for salvation. If that's you today, I wanna invite you to lift up your hand. You're saying, Jesus, forgive my sin. I wanna be part of your family. So if anybody here today that's wanting to say yes to that? Any hands, just so I can see you. It's fantastic. Then he's saying to the rest of us, those of us that do know him, that he's wanting us to praise him with our lives. That's why he saved us. That's why he has us in this particular church, why he has us on this property, so that our lives will praise Jesus, so that others will know of his love. And we have to say yes to that today, guys. And so my hands are up to say, Lord Jesus, I'm saying yes to more fruit, more proclaiming your love. Who else is wanting to say that so I can just pray for us? Lord, you know our hearts. You know that we can't do this in our own strength. You know that we need you. That's why you said you're the vine, we're the branches. But Lord, we know that we're standing on the cusp of something new that you're wanting to do in and through our lives. It's always been your heart. But Lord, you're making us more aware of it today. Lord, I wanna pray that we would be a people 
at City Hope Church who bear good fruit. Lord, who live out sacrificial love and obedience. Lord, I want to pray, Lord, that many people's lives will come to know Jesus because of the fruit that uh, develops in our lives because we are abiding in the vine. Lord, today we want to say we want to praise you with our lives and proclaim your love. Help us to do that in our spaces and in our places and our relationships. Help us to stop for the one in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thanks, sir.